going to be reading Genesis chapter 3. For the message, I'll be focusing just on verses 14 to 24. But, uh, but let's, let's read the, the whole chapter to, uh, to keep in its context. Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. When the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In your pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. You shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Then the man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, at the, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Let's, let's pray again together. Holy God, as we approach this passage of Scripture, we see, Lord, your just and righteous consequences that, that you bring forward for the sin of the serpent and of the woman and the man. But Lord, we thank you that even in these dire consequences, there is also hope. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to see the hope that we find in the gospel of Jesus Christ and help us all, Lord, by your grace and for your glory to lay hold of that hope.
And so to be transformed from rebels like our first parents into worshipers. That we might stand firm on your word and worship you in spirit and in truth. We ask this in the strong name of Jesus Christ, the only Savior. What happens when you are outside in the beautiful sunshine and you step inside into a darkened room? You can't see a thing. Because of the, the contrast of the, the light that you're in into the, the darkness of, of that room, you're, you're temporarily blinded. Well, set against the backdrop of the Lord God's very good blessings to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, the blackness of sin is blinding. The difference between the blessings of Genesis 2, we saw a few weeks ago, and the consequences of sin that we see in the, the sin and its consequences in Genesis 3 is, is like day versus night. The sin that infects, that infects the whole human race will also affect all of creation, the entirety of creation. In Genesis 2 verses in Genesis 3, verses 14 to 24, we're going to see the consequences of that first sin. The consequences of the fall of Adam and Eve. As it brings God's just condemnation. The sad fact is that, that from here on in, the entire Bible is littered with sin. The, 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 with sin and, and its consequences that they're going to figure prominently all the way to the end of God's word. But even in the darkness of that sin, there is a glimmer of light. Praise the Lord that even in the consequences of sin, there is hope. God's grace is present. So in Genesis 3, 14 to 24, we see the beginnings of the covenant of grace. And so at, at each point, we're going to see not just judgment, but mercy. Not just wrath, but love. Even as God is executing the sentence against Adam and Eve, even as he is banishing our rebellious parents from his presence in the garden, the Lord God is extending grace. So first of all, in verses 14 to 19, we see the Lord God's judgment. This judgment comes down in the order of offense. First for the serpent, and then Eve, and then to Adam. And each judgment is rendered in terms of function and relationship. Each guilty party sought to rebel against the Lord God. And each one will receive a form of defeat, a specific form of defeat. And in each case, the consequences fit the crime Perfectly. In verses uh, uh, 9 to 13, first we see how the, the Lord God had questioned Adam and Eve. He, he questioned them about, wh about what they had done. This was a, a, there was a trial going on. Well, in verse 14, he addresses the serpent. But notice that no question is put to the serpent. The Lord God simply says, because you have done this. There is no trial here. The serpent is summarily convicted and condemned. 
Friends, Satan is in a completely different category from the man and the woman who are made in the image of God. Satan is cursed. They are not. There is no possibility of redemption for him. But for them, it's a different story. Now, this was a literal serpent and a literal man and a literal woman, but each guilty party is representative of those who would follow in their line. We talked about how Adam is the, the federal head of the human race. And Paul talks about how, how we are either, we, we either dead in Adam or alive in Christ, the second Adam. Adam was our representative in the garden. Well, the serpent is a representative as well. But he is a representative. He is a, a federal head of, of sorts of all who would follow in his line, the line of Satan. Earlier, the, the serpent was described as being more crafty above the beasts, beasts of the field, and now he is cursed above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. First, we see that he is, is cursed to go on his belly and to eat dust. Again, we, we see here that the consequences fit the crime. It seems that, that prior to this event, the, the serpent had, had legs. But this isn't just one of those, those how-so tales about how the serpent lost its legs. This is something far more than that. Satan, in his pride, had sought to exalt himself above God. And then, inhabiting the serpent, Satan had incited the man and the woman to do the same. Well, now the serpent is cursed to slither on its belly. The serpent tempted the woman to eat the forbidden fruit, but now it will eat dust. So its function is radically changed. Of course, it, it, I, I imagine that snakes probably ingest some dust in the course of slithering through the dust, but the point here is one of humiliation. Satan tried to exalt himself, and he is abased, abased to the very ground. But the Lord God is not finished. His relationships would be forever altered as well. Verse, at the end of verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Again, the consequences fit the crime. The serpent and Eve were co-conspirators in treason against the Lord God. And now they'll be forever at war with each other. There will be continual conflict between the offspring of the serpent and the offspring of the woman. As we talked about with the kids, Satan does not have literal offspring. These are human beings who serve him. And so this is really the conflict between the people of God and the people of the devil. And you can see this war being waged right here in the pages of Genesis. In fact, right in the very next chapter, Cain, Eve's first son, murders his brother Abel. Cain's genealogy is seen there in, in Genesis 4, verses 17 to 24. But in verse 25, Eve gives birth to Seth saying, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, that for Cain killed him. So friends, Cain was the offspring of Satan. He was a servant of the evil one. 
But Seth is the godly offspring. And this, this, you'll see the warfare as it, as it continues through the books of Genesis. You, you see the, the genealogies of the people of God set over and against the genealogies of, of the people of the enemy. But it continues all the way through the pages of the Bible. The warfare continues until Satan is finally defeated. So how is Satan defeated? Look again at the end of verse 15. Speaking of Eve's offspring, the Lord God says to the serpent, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is known as the the proto-evangelium, the first gospel, the first reference uh, of the gospel in the whole Bible. It's here we, we see in, in shadow form, again, the, the beginnings of the covenant of grace. Here we see God's provision of a savior from the offspring of the woman who would ultimately defeat Satan. Yes, in the process, his foot would be bruised, but the serpent's head would be bruised. He would receive the mortal wound. When we think of our Lord Jesus on the cross, as those spikes were driven through his wrist and and through his ankles, his heel was certainly bruised. But in the process of that crucifixion, of that apparent defeat, it is Satan who was defeated. For three days later, our Lord rose from the grave. Paul tells us in no uncertain terms who the serpent is and who the Savior is in in Romans 16, verse 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ will be with you. And so on the cross, Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Colossians 2, 15. So Satan's victory here in Genesis 3 and even an apparent victory in, in, on the cross is not a final victory. It's not a final victory. The final victory belongs to our Lord. So there is grace in these consequences, but not for Satan. But now the Lord directs his attention to the woman. He he directs his attention to the woman uh, there in verses 16. In verse 16. And again, we see how how function and relationship are, are radically affected. First, her function. Your pain will be multiplied in childbearing and pain you will bring forth children. Well, again, the punishment fits the crime. The, the, the consequence fits the crime. Here, Kenneth Matthews. Painful childbirth serves as a perpetual reminder of sin and the woman's part in it. It's a perpetual reminder of sin and, and, and the, the woman's culpability in that first sin. Now, there certainly is pain in childbirth and, and I don't pretend to have any idea of how much pain there is in in childbirth, but but I believe the implications here are broader, encompassing not just physical pain, but also emotional and spiritual pain. The the pain, the physical pain of childbirth is, is over as soon as the baby, or soon after the baby is born, but the pain doesn't end there. 
James Boyce explains that the pain associated with children's births will continue in other ways throughout the mother's and father's life as these who are now born in sin dishonor their parents and experience in their own lives the consequence, consequences of their own disobedience. So you hear what Boyce is saying there. He's saying that there is, there is an ongoing spiritual and emotional pain through the, the birth of children. As, as parents have to contend with their own sin, but, but then also dealing with the sins of their children. Far too often I've witnessed the profound grief of, of heartbroken parents whose children are walking in willful sin. And Eve is going to experience that, that pain very soon as her firstborn son murders his brother. But as we saw a moment ago, hope, hope comes. There's hope that even comes through the woman's offspring. Friends, the man's actions condemned us all. But the woman plays a crucial role in freeing us from sin's consequences. Again, there is grace in the consequences. There's grace in the consequences as, as the offspring of the woman. Ultimately, our Lord Jesus Christ will defeat Satan for us. But there are yet more consequences for, for the woman. Look at the second half of verse 16. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Well, what does this mean? It means that marriage will no longer be a harmonious relationship, but one of competing desires. Just turn the page for a moment to Genesis 4-7, where the Lord God warns Cain, who is plotting murder in his heart. And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Hear this, its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Do you see that? Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. It's the same words. The same words. There it's sin that, that wants to, that wants to control, control Cain to obey its desires, but he must control it. We know that he fails in this. And similarly, the, the woman will desire to, to usurp her husband's authority. But men will oppress women. They will oppress their wives. Women manipulate and control men, but men dominate and mistreat women. Again, the consequences fit the crime. The man failed to lead his wife and she led him astray. Now she will seek his position, but he will oppress her. He will oppress her. And you can see these consequences all through the scriptures, especially, especially, when you, especially later in the, in the scriptures. But you can see even, even earlier, you can see uh, Abraham forcing Sarah to lie and he, he puts her virtue at risk in order to protect his own neck. Through the Bible, you can see polygamy and rape and incest and adultery and neglect. These consequences are, are there throughout the Bible. You can see these consequences around the world. Think about Muslim countries where women are forced to wear a burqa and, and to walk several paces behind their husbands. This is the oppression of women by men. Men who can't control their, their lustful desires and so they, for, they subjugate the woman to, to completely cover herself. Or think about it in India with the, the practice of, of sati. 
where, where widows are, are burned to death on, their, on their, their husband's funeral pyres. Now that a process has been officially banned, it's, it still takes place in, in parts of India. But the consequences of the fall are not just out there. They're not just in other countries. They're right here as well. They're right here in Western culture. Not only do you have the horrors of, of abusive relationships, but, but pornography and, and human trafficking are sad examples of men oppressing women. Friends, the consequences of the fall affect your marriage too. Every time you and your spouse have an argument, every time your eyes or your thoughts wander, Men, every time you act insensitively towards your wife. Woman, every time you try to control your husband, you are seeing and enacting the consequences of the fall. It affects all of us. But yet again, there is grace in the consequences. Turn with me, please, in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Now, we covered this, this passage in, in more depth several months ago. But, but this is a helpful reminder. We need to be reminded of this all the time. Ephesians 5, verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. So, so this, this idea here of, of men having authority in their, in their marriages is not a result of the fall. It's, it's actually a result of, of creation design. Paul talks about that in, in other places. It's the man was made first and then the woman. So, so it's the authority of a man is, is, not, is not part of the fall. It's, it's inherent in creation. But it's the oppression. It's the oppression of, of women by their husbands that is, is sinful and as a result of the fall. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Men, you are called to love your wife as Christ loved the church. And how did Jesus love the church? By dying for her. Man, this is what we are called to in our marriages. And I'm conscious of, of my feelings in that, and I, and I trust you're conscious of yours as well. Maybe we all need to repent to the Lord and to our wives. Because if we lead in the way that, that we are called to, it will be, it will be actually a, a, a much easier for our wives to submit to our, our rule. But of course, none of us do lead the way we should, and the responsibility is still there for the wife, regardless of how the, the husband leads. But... But we need to focus on, on our own verse there. Women, don't focus on the failings of your husband. Men, don't focus on the failings of your wife. You've got enough to worry about with your own failings. Focus on the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and what your marriage is meant to point to. In verses 31 to 33 of, of Ephesians 5, we read, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying it refers to Christ in the church. Whoever, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. 
not only Paul, but also Peter and our Lord Jesus in their teaching on marriage all point back to this. They all point back to that first marriage before the fall. And so in Christ, you see the consequences of the fall overturned in your marriage. Wives, as you submit to your husband, husbands, as you lovingly serve your wife, you are reflecting the gospel. You, you are living out the gospel. You are a living example of the gospel to your children and to a watching world that has no concept of this. So, so again, there's grace in the consequences. Now let's look at, at Genesis 3, verses 17 to 19, where the Lord God speaks to Adam. The Lord God speaks to Adam. First, we see that the, the ground is cursed. He says, because of what you have done, cursed is the ground because of you. Cursed is the ground because of you, because of your sin. This is a reversal of the good creation. Man's relationship with the ground has now changed. Now the ground is going to work against him. He was, was put in the garden to work the ground, but now the ground is working against him, producing thorns and thistles. You might know this, might not know this, but I, I do a little bit of landscaping work on the side. And my company is called Genesis 3 Gardens, which I think is apropos given that about 90% of the work that I do is clearing thorns and thistles. Friends, we work, all of us, not just when, when, we, when we clear weeds, we are working by the sweat of our brow. The cursing of the ground results in a reversal of the blessing of fruitful labor. What was once joyful is now painful. And yet again, the punishment fits the crime. Adam ate the forbidden fruit and now he will eat in pain by the sweat of his brow until the day of his death. He was taken from the dust of the ground and now he will return to the ground from whence he came and the ground will consume him. But here too, there is grace in the consequences. First, there is grace in, the, in that the Lord has given a day of rest from that labor. In Exodus 20, verses 8 to 11, we, ha we have the fourth commandment, the, the command to observe a Sabbath rest. God has given that day of rest, we read there, not just for you, but also for your children and for those who work for you, even for the animals that you have. It's a day of rest. And that command there is grounded in the, in the seventh day when God rested from his work in creation. Not that God needed to rest, but he did that for us as a, as a pattern. He laid that down for us. When the commandment is, is repeated in Deuteronomy 5, 14 and 15, the, the command is, is given again to, to rest and, and to all these groups of, of people and even to the animals, but there it is grounded in the Hebrews' slavery in Egypt. There was a time when they were slaves and they were unable to rest, and God had, has given them rest. So there is a, there is a natural and, and built-in consequences, built-in um, into the consequences, there is there a natural blessing of God giving rest. So you don't have to just labor 24-7. There's a time of rest that God gives. There's also grace in, in the consequence through the gospel. 
for God is redeeming work. For God is redeeming work. And, and you can see that repeatedly in the New Testament. Just a couple of verses. In Ephesians 4.28, we read, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have, have something to share with anyone who is in need. So, so friends, your work is your vocation. It's your calling. A calling is, is not just, just for pastors and missionaries. All of us, whatever, whatever work God has, has given you to do, it is your vocation. It is your calling to serve Him. So as you work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, you are serving Christ and will receive the inheritance as your reward. Colossians 3, 23 and 24. So, so again, we see that, that in the gospel, the there's, there is grace. And there's, the consequences of the, of the fall have been overturned. And we get to participate in that. There's even grace in the consequence for the ground, for the actual ground in the gospel. Turn with me, if you will, in your Bible to, to Romans uh, chapter 8 verse, and look at verse 19. Romans 8, 19 gets to 22. Here we see the creation longing with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. The creation was subjected to futility, but it will receive freedom from its bondage to corruption. And until that time, the whole creation groans in the pains of childbirth. Friends, the creation will be redeemed. There is a new heavens and a new earth coming. And there's even a, con there's even a grace in the consequence of death. Even as the sentence of death is, is given here to Adam, there is grace in that too, and we'll see that in a moment. In verses 20 and 21, we see the Lord's provision. The Lord's provision. First, in, in verse 20, we see the provision of offspring. Man, the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Remember back in, in 2.23, Adam had named his wife woman because she was taken out of man. And now here Adam is renaming her Eve, which, which means to live. Eve means to live. So calling his wife to live is, is remarkable. It's remarkable given that it comes immediately after the sentence of death. The sentence of death to Adam and his offspring. So so here, Adam has hope. Adam has hope in the Lord's God's promise that the seed of the, of the woman would crush the serpent's head. Now, of course, Adam would not have been fully aware of the implications of, of what was happening, but he had faith. He had faith and he believed the Lord God and he took him at his word. Well, now in, in verse 21, we see another provision, the provision of a covering. The Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. If you remember in, in chapter 2, verse 25, before they had sinned, Moses tells us that the man and his wife were naked and were not ashamed. But then in, in chapter 3, verse 7, when they sinned, then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together to make themselves loincloths. So in, in their, their guilt and shame, they sought to hide themselves, hide themselves. Their eyes were opened. They knew that they were naked. They felt, they felt these, these emotions of, of guilt and shame. 
But again, they, they, felt, they felt naked and ashamed, not, because, not primarily because their, their skin was exposed, but because their sin was exposed. Their sin was exposed. It's spiritual nakedness. But instead of going to God for covering, they, they, seek to, to, they sin further by seeking to conceal themselves with, with fig leaves. They try to cover themselves with fig leaves. But, but even here, the Lord God is giving them grace. He made garments for them out of animal skins. Animal skins. These coverings cost the death of an animal. This is the first death on the planet. This is the first sacrifice. In the very next chapter, we see Abel sacrificing a sheep to the Lord. All through the Old Testament, we see the sacrifice of animals for the forgiveness of sins. There's a trail of blood that goes through the Old Testament, and it's, it's horrific. But we know that it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to, to, to take away our sins, Hebrews 10.4. That, that trail of blood leads to the cross of Christ. It took an, the death of an animal to cover Adam and Eve physically. It takes the death of Jesus Christ to cover us spiritually. We are clothed in his righteousness. Listen to Isaiah 50, uh, 61 verse 10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. Friends, those of us who are in Christ are clothed with the righteousness of of Christ. We're clothed with, with the perfect deeds of Jesus imputed to us, credited to our account. We have a covering for our sin. So even there again, we, we see that there is grace in the consequences. And finally, in verses 20 to 24, we see the Lord God's sentence. The Lord God's sentence. It starts with a divine deliberation. And this divine delibera uh, deliberation is the antithesis of the de divine deliberation in chapter 1, verse 26, when the Lord God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. We're getting a glimpse here into the thinking of the Godhead as he, about, as he is about to execute the sentence. But notice again that it's a plural. In our likeness, our image. This is a conversation between the members of the Trinity. Behold, man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Man, like Satan, desired to be like God. And now, in a twisted way, he has become like God. But the effect was not what man desired. Donald Gray Barnhouse illustrates this well. He says, if a man stepped off the wing of an airplane at 20,000 feet without a parachute. He would be up in the air like the pilot who could say the man has become like one of us to know altitude and gravity. But there would be no power to maintain altitude or to avoid gravity. And the situation for the man in the garden was even more grave. 
Verse 22 continues, Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. We see man cut off from access to the tree of life. The Lord God sent him out from the, out, out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. Man chose the forbidden fr- for the fruit of the forbidden tree instead of the tree of life. Now he's going to live with, or rather die by, the consequences of his decision. Again, the consequences fit the crime. He is cut off from the tree of life. Eating of that tree would have granted him life, perpetual life. Just as eating the, 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 from the prohibited tree granted him knowledge, Adam and Eve are sentenced to death. And even worse, they are sentenced to lose intimate fellowship with God. They wanted to be like God, but now they are driven from God's presence east and into the east of Eden. And God placed the cherubim, a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Again, the consequences fit the crime. Adam was put in the garden to care for it, but now the garden is being guarded from him. Adam was put in the garden to work the ground, but now he is banished from the garden to work the ground by the sweat of his brow. But yet again, there's also grace in the consequence. Friends, this sentence is not motivated by fear on the part of God that man will somehow usurp his position. But it's out of mercy. It's out of mercy for our first parents in their misery. It's a promise that they will not remain in their sinful state for all eternity. Can you imagine being in the bondage of sin and never having hope of release? By withholding access to the tree of life, Adam and Eve will be granted freedom in death. Now, as, as you understand this passage, they, they did have a hope. They did have a belief in God. They did have a, have a hope in the gospel and that they will ultimately be with us in glory. But they would die physically. That, that lie of the serpent proved wrong. They would surely die. No, it was not that day. They, they would live for hundreds of years. But they would die. And in that death, they would, gain, they would gain freedom. So we've seen again and again that the consequences fit the crime. We've also seen again, that, again and again that for the people of God, there is grace in the consequences. Those cherubim, far, far from being cute babies with wings as they are portrayed in popular culture, are, are fierce warriors. And they, they keep Adam and Eve and their offspring from the tree of life. Well, where else do you see the, the cherubim in the Bible? There's, there's many places, but, but notably here, we see the cherubim in the temple. On the, the curtain that, that blocked, that kept the Holy of Holies, kept access from the Holy of, of Holies from, from man. There were, there were cherubim woven into, the images of cherubim woven into that curtain. And inside that curtain, in the Holy of Holies, there, there are angels on top of, of the Ark of the Covenant, bowed with their, their wings touching. 
There's something here that's vital for us to see. Friends, in that covenant that God, that covenant of works that, that Adam and Eve failed to keep, they died and were under the curse, and, and all who follow in their steps are under the curse, but there was a covenant of grace. Remember Lincoln Duncan's definition of a covenant as a, a binding relationship with blessing and obligation. We looked at, at five elements of covenants. The two parties, including the divine witness, the historical prologue and past blessings, the stipulations and the sanctions and the ratifying oath, and these are present here. In, in seed form, we, we see that the covenant of grace that is going to progress until it comes to the new covenant, the covenant of Christ's blood. And so those images of the, of the cherubim on, on the, the curtain, what happened to that curtain? At the death of Jesus, that curtain was torn in two from top to bottom, providing access to, to, to the Holy of Holies. And not just a, a, the Holy of Holies in a temple, but, but, but to the Holy of Holies, to the presence of Almighty God. Because Jesus Christ upheld the covenant for us. And so all who are in Christ are under the covenant of grace, the new covenant of blood, of the blood of Jesus. So the entire storyline of Genesis and the rest of the Bible is a story of, of the covenants that God has made with his people, of the redemption of his people. And as the story progresses, God's grace will shine brighter and brighter until it finally eclipses the darkness. And God's grace will figure infinitely more prominently than the sin that necessitated it. God knew what Adam and Eve were going to do, but he knew also what he was going to do, that he was going to send his son to die for our sins so that in him we could have life and life everlasting. As we think in closing about the war that is being raged between, between the people of God and the people of the evil one, all of us, everyone here in this room is on one side or the other. There are only two types of people. The people of God or the people of evil. Whose side are you on? For those who are still on the side of Satan, now is your opportunity to repent, to turn away from your sin, to put your faith in Jesus Christ, to be set free from the bondage of death and receive life everlasting in Him. Would you pray with me? Our Lord and our God, we praise you that even as we consider the, the consequences of that first sin, we see your grace. And even as 
the evil of sin runs like a current through your word. Lord, your grace shines more brightly. We thank you, we praise you, Lord, that for, for us here who are living after the cross, we see the reality of which was there in Genesis 3 only in shadow form. And Lord, we pray that each one here would turn away from their sin and, and put their faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that by the work of your Holy Spirit, you grant repentance leading to salvation. We ask this in the majestic name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.